Gospel reading for this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, beginning in the 13th chapter at the 31st verse. And Luke wrote these things. Just then some Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, Run for your life. Herod's on the hunt. He's out to kill you. And Jesus said, Tell that fox that I've no time for him right now. Today and tomorrow I'm busy clearing out the demons and healing the sick. And the third day, I'm wrapping things up. Besides, it's not proper for a prophet to come to a bad end outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killer of prophets, abuser of the messengers of God. How often I've longed to gather your children, gather your children like a hen, her brood safe under her wings. But you refused and turned away. And now it's too late. You won't see me again until the day you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of God. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh Lord, please teach us to listen. Times are noisy and our ears are weary with the thousand sounds which continuously assault them. Let us hear you speaking in our hearts. Let us get used to the sound of your voice, that it may be familiar to us when the sounds of the earth die away, and the only sound will be that of your speaking voice. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to your word for us this day. Amen. How many impossible things have you done already today? None? Really? Well, did you perfectly poach your egg in your microwave for 45 seconds? Did you log on to your email site and download messages from your friends, business associates, maybe even your grandchildren? Did you get out of bed and stroll around painlessly using an artificial knee or hip? Did you swallow a simple aspirin and so reduce your chance of a heart attack? Did you drive to church in a computer-friendly car that has built-in satellite systems so that you always know right where you're going? Did you make a phone call from your car on your way here? I guess that's illegal now. But you can still do it without your hands. Did you stop at the ATM and get some cash? Did you stop at a 24-hour Taco Bell and grab a burrito with extra hot sauce for breakfast on your way to church? You know, all of these things, and perhaps a million more, would have been rejected as impossible only a decade or two ago. And everyone knows certain people who would rather deny that the impossible is now possible, rather than learn new ways of doing things or risk the possibilities of some new experiences in their lives. They would rather cook in the old cookware than try out the convenience of a microwave. They would rather hobble around on a painful knee or hip rather than allow some strange new joint into their body. Some people still refuse
refuse to believe that anything other than snail mail is legitimate or a trustworthy form of communication. Now Lent, folks, is the time in the church here when we practice the spiritual gifts of letting go. And those gifts are really the gifts of this season. Because the spiritual path that we walk is the way of emptying, the way of subtraction. It is important to remember, though, that the point of putting something aside for Lent is the opportunity to make room for something else. And while it is not always apparent, there is nothing we can see that isn't shown. Now, Jesus laments over Jerusalem in today's text. It was to be the place of refuge and prayer. Yet rather than see what opportunity was right in front of its eyes, Jerusalem preferred to continue to limp around on painful joints. I think one important ingredient in this morning's message is that we need to lament in some ways so that we can move on. It is true that things will never be like they were. The past is gone, it will never come back. And too often we say, I think, remember when, to a time that we thought we just boomed. But lamenting helps us to move on, to really know and recognize that times have changed, that the idealized past is just that, a romantic image of perhaps what never really was. Lamenting offers us a dose of realism so that we can move on. It really calls us back to our central mission. And I believe that the church is to be a prophetic witness as a Christian community. We can make a stance in social, cultural, political, economic matters. None of us do that particularly well on our own, but together, I really believe that it should be a goal of the church. And I think we enter this story as we listen to Jesus, as another brood of baby chicks who are scattered, distracted, unable somehow to comprehend the very real danger that is threatening. Because Jesus' lament over Jerusalem is also over you and me and this world, which all too often still refuses the gifts that Jesus would still so freely give. It shouldn't be so difficult. Yet it is. For it seems that I'm always prone to think that I am enough, that I know better, that I can do better, or at least well enough on my own. So today, I think we ought to join in Jesus' lament over Jerusalem, not only for Jerusalem, but also for my community and for myself and for all of those I know who just are not willing, as Jesus so aptly puts it today. And as we lament, we might just also wonder how it might all change if just once, just once, most of us were willing, 
and took that first step together to simply submit ourselves to God's care for us. Allow us to understand what it is to be the recipient of sacrificial care and protection. The world might just change. But the really tough part of this is that as Jesus addresses Herod, he uses the term fox. And for himself, he uses the image of a hen longing to put chicks under her wing. Please hear this. These are careful descriptions. The earthly reality is that fox eat hens. In this recognition, Jesus breaks the notion that suffering is final. For Jesus, this suffering is a gate to another world. It's another kind of citizenship. And when we cross into suffering, we give up to get. We hang on to let go. We imitate Jesus in entering into difficulty with hope. I believe that our anxiety about suffering makes us suffer more than we need to. We are never, ever going to deny that there are children who rarely get breakfast, or that there are widows with full bowls who in their grief can't face the morning either. And we may try to forget them, but the more we forget them, the more we bury their ache in our ache, the bigger the implosion is going to be when we come crashing in on ourselves. I think the problem is not so much the fact of suffering as our fear of it. We try so hard to be safe, folks, that we make ourselves dangerous. We try so hard to make things go just right that we help to make them go wrong. Yet the example that Jesus gives us this morning is embracing the reality of suffering but still living non-anxiously from the depth of the here and now. You know, when people stand in line at the grocery store, if you're ever brave enough to talk to the next person and hint that their house is a mess, they're probably telling us more than just a housekeeping detail. They may just be trying to see if we are capable of knowing their suffering. And if we respond with love and grace and an openness to death, we can soon enough in any community, any community, find ourselves overwhelmed by the levels and depths of life that are going on all around us. If we act as though we are open to human vulnerability, it will knock on our door even if our own lives are absurdly dry and clean. Those of others are not. And we can certainly share a cross if we don't have one of our own. I gotta be honest with you, very little in the world scares me more than scared people. People who don't face their fears and hungry children or weeping widows, they don't face themselves. They can only think about their fear of what they might lose in loving or caring for another. They turn from the way of Jesus. Listen to the rhetoric that is out there now, folks. Please listen. 
It is the rhetoric of fear. There's nothing you can see that isn't shown. And I think it's sort of a paradox that we suffer more by trying to avoid suffering. Because denial is a dirty scheme to get us out of life, away from Jesus and into some fictional feeling of safety. It is indeed dangerous, lethally dangerous. Because who then becomes the hands of Jesus? Who brings the widow a cup of coffee? Instead of being touched by life, we are untouched, not being touched, not touching. It hurts. When we befriend suffering, rather than make it our enemy, we travel through life ready to cross over. So first, folks, we got to accept our own vulnerability, own our scabs and our warts, own our wounds, I hate to tell you this because I love you all, but we are not as good as we probably like to think that we are. And when we get into trouble, we're going to be counting on the people who can help bear suffering. So if for another, no other reason, put some money into your account now. And then let's keep our hearts open. Because the more we avoid knowing or seeing the folks on the side roads of life, the colder our hearts get. I think we need to do what Jesus did sometimes and walk down roads others avoid, the other side of the street, the wrong side of the tracks, just to keep open and pliable hearts, just to discipline our eyesight. And then let's see the world just as best as we can. The way Jesus saw the world. Because I believe that Jesus saw connections between now and later, eternity and today, heaven and hell. He understood the effects of a pebble in a pond, the quiet brush of butterfly wings, the healing of touch, the impact of love. <laughs> the power of sacrifice, and the virtue of kindness. Just be nice. So much of this is how you look at things. And we affirm once again today that all you need is love, and that there is nothing you can see that isn't shown. So our prayer maybe simply needs to be, open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Open the eyes.